0: Hello, I'm David Leet from Leet's Culinaria with another episode of our Authors' Answer series. The program that puts authors and writers where they deserve to be, front and center. Now, if you're like me, when autumn and winter rolls around, it becomes that dreaded root vegetable season. And at first, it's all fun. It's like carrots and rutabagas and parsnips. Oh, my. And then it becomes rutabagas and parsnips and carrots. Oh, God. After a while, you get bored because what I do is after a while, it's just chopping up the root vegetables, tossing them in olive oil putting them in the oven, a little salt and pepper, and that's it. Well, our guest today has done something very interesting. She has taken 28 root vegetables, made 225 recipes out of them, so you have absolutely no excuse to get through autumn and winter with nothing but chopped vegetables in the oven. My guest is Diane Morgan. Welcome, Diane.
1: Hey, welcome, David.
0: And your book, of course, is titled... Roots. Exactly. You and Alex Haley Jr. have something in common. Now, I do have to say this, and yes... It's coming. I feel it coming. Where did the root of the idea come for this book? Now, um, forgive me. I just it, had to say that. I'm sure everyone right, said It's all right, David.
1: This. I dug deep. <laughs> the, the puns go on and on. Well, a short little story to tell the tale of where the book came from. Okay. So I shop at the Portland, Oregon. I live in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. The farmer's market almost every Saturday when I'm in town. It's about two weeks before Thanksgiving. I'm in the market, heavy bags um, with squashes and greens, and I'm stopped to buy celery root. And I pick up two celery root, and I'm picking up a third, and this woman stops me, and she, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's celery root. And she, what do you do with it? It's kind <laughs> of ugly. And I proceed to tell her that it can be eaten raw and cooked and mashed and made into soup, and it's fabulous. And I buy my celery root. She doesn't buy it. And I walk on and two stalls up. I stop and I see this long stick like root and I pick it up and I turn to the farmer. I'm like, what is that? And he said, oh, that's burdock root. I'm like, really? What do you do with it? <laughs> and there was this circular story going in my head. And I thought, wow, I'm a food professional. I've been in this, I've been writing books for almost 25 years. And I thought, wow, I don't know burdock root. She doesn't know celery root. What's going on? So I went home. And I went through all my cookbooks, and I went to the library, and I went to the bookstores, and I thought, okay, here's this book that I want. I want the Bible of root vegetables. I want tons of recipes to go with each root, and that book doesn't exist. So I'm going to write the book.
0: So you filled a niche.
1: I filled a niche. So it was selfish. It was...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Purely selfish. Sorry. You wrote the book you wanted to have. Exactly. Which is usually the best books, by the way, in the end. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but I do. About five years ago, you and I were sitting in a Starbucks. Do you remember this? I do. And you were saying that you wanted to write a book about root vegetables and you wanted it to be a big book and an important book and a comprehensive book. And you just didn't know if it was really going to be worthwhile and people are going to receive it. How well has the book been received? Because you're on book tour right now.
1: The first inkling was that the day the book came out, it went into a second printing. That Congratulations. was pretty great. It's getting a lot of press and... People are getting it. You know, all these people are shopping in farmer's markets. They're getting CSA boxes. I just met a few people today in a cooking class, mm-hmm. and they're in New York City, and they're getting CSA boxes. And, of course, in my head, I'm thinking, where are you putting all those? And gardeners. I've I've just met lots of gardeners who put in winter gardens, and they're turning the soil and pulling out rutabagas and turnips and going, what do I do with these things besides put them in the oven and roast them and and boring, boring, and what else can I do with them?
0: How did you decide on 28 root vegetables and why these particular ones?
1: Well, so 28 individual roots are all edible roots that we will see either grown locally or in a Hispanic market or in an Asian market. And at the back of the book, I have the last chapter is called Other Roots. Mm -hmm. And those are edible roots that are available around the world, but not necessarily that we would see. There's a root called NSIT that is very dominant in Africa, a really important carbohydrate for their diet, but we never see it here. So it's in there as other roots, but these are all the roots we know and don't know. And that all are all
0: cultivated. None of them are foraged. Right. Now, all of them seem very familiar for you folks. It's rutabagas and sweet potatoes, taro, turmeric, turnips, wasabi, water chestnuts. There is one that I did not know, which is Crohn's. Talk about what Crohn's is, because honestly, it looks a little bit like... Worms. little Oh, well, you're lava. giving it away. You're okay. giving it away.
1: So, okay. Crones are, they were original to China. Mm-hmm. They made their way into, well, they made their way into Southeast Asia and then, um, and they made their way into Europe. And where they really caught on is in France. And the French love them. And in fact, three years ago, I was in Lyon, France over mm-hmm. Christmas time, and I... Uh, we had an apartment, and I'm shopping in the market, and there next to the bin of potatoes and onions was a bin of Crohn's. I was jumping for joy because oh, really? there they were, these little grub-like
0: exactly. tubers,
1: except that they are incredibly delicious.
0: What do they taste like?
1: They're they're crunchy like a water chestnut would be, but they're, they have this lovely nuttiness to them almost like a little bit like a pine nut Mm -hmm. and so what the French love to do with them imagine this they love to um, simmer them in truffled cream (laughs) that's not a that's not a stretch
0: but once
1: I once I played with them and tasted them I Turned them into, I'm like, wow, like, so what if I made a fritter out of these? Like, we have corn fritters, and mm-hmm. we're going to have crone fritters. And I put some curry in, and they were fabulous. And I thought, well, wouldn't these be good with some parsley, garlic, and peppered bacon? And I did a saute with them. And and then I went on to pickle them, because I thought, okay, wouldn't these be kind of fun? And so I did a, I pickled them, and that's one recipe. But then I went on to do a, a martini. So you put these pickled... Crohn's and it they're distinguished in a martini glass. I
0: think it would be an incredible conversation starter at a cocktail party when handing out all these Crohn's martini, these little grubs all over the (laughs) tops of the glasses, (laughs) uh, get people talking. Now, 225 recipes, that is a tremendous number of recipes for any cookbook. And you are dealing with only 28 major ingredients. Now, I think what's so fantastic about the book and Renee Shetler-Rossi, is our my editor-in-chief made a comment how comprehensive this particular book is because the root vegetables have starring roles and supporting roles and they are extras and they're walk-ons and it, they do everything. And I think that's that says a lot about how versatile they are. Can you talk about how you decided to have them basically like an orchestra? Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's more. there's more volume, more flavor. Talk about that.
1: I, I really love that whole schematic that you just laid out because they do roots do play that role. So for instance, let's, let's do a center of the plate. Beets are great. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they can be used raw. They can be used cooked. They have a sweet side. And so I exploited those in all those ways. So I pickled them, which is an obvious thing to do. I made a, a beet Mm slaw. So a raw beet slaw um, I did a salsa with them, but then I, and a borscht.
0: A beef borscht. Beef borscht. Which I adore.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, uh, well, I, growing up, my mother hated beets. My father adored beets. My grandmother was the one that made the borscht and brought it over. <laughs> so I sort of had this split personality. Should I like these? Should I not? And and I've always loved them. And plus the colors. So ama- just amazing.
0: spectacular.
1: So to exploit the sweet side of them, I decided that I was going to make a red velvet cupcake with the beets and no red food coloring, no cocoa. And so I roasted beets till they were really fork tender, pureed them in a food processor, and that's the base of these cupcakes. And they're magenta. and
0: They're spectacular looking. There's a photo. If you get the book, you have to look at that photo because it really is spectacular. And is there the depth of flavor? Because the cocoa is gone, right? Is there? Depth yeah, of
1: you don't really, you don't taste them and go, oh, that's beets. Mm-hmm. You taste them and you have this wonderful, sweet, earthy flavor that comes out because of the natural sweetness in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, beets turn into beet sugar that um, is processed, but they don't taste like the earth. They right. they taste like this yummy cupcake with an orange buttercream so frosting so um but it runs the gamut throughout the book so another place where i ex- i exploited the goodness was rutabagas which you know people just have this they get a bad rap they you know some people can't even stand the name of them
0: yeah
1: and um well so i turned them into a rutabaga hash mm-hmm. and you know fried bacon onions peppers Throw in the rutabagas, stick a lid on it, and it's incredible because there's a underlying honey flavor to them. So you get that with the bacon and the peppers and onions, and and you know you can lift the lid off once they're tender and crack some eggs over the top, put the lid back on, and just poach eggs over the top. A little the s- hot sauce, and you are there.
0: Oh, that <laughs> sounds fantastic. On the site, we have a section called Stealthy Healthy, which is basically getting good vegetables, good nutrition into something that maybe your kids will finally eat. This sounds like there are a lot of very stealthy, healthy recipes in this. Yes. wait. I mean, of course, there's bacon in that one, but there are other ones where you can get root vegetables in there and other nutrition in there that kids will want to eat.
1: Right. And, I mean, sweet potatoes Mm -hmm. are, while we think of them as the more common, um, they are at the top of the list of all vegetables for nutrition. And so we need to sneak those in in many ways or just have them, whether you cut them into wedges and roast them. And I throw a little bit of, um, of uh, roasted uh, chipotle pepper mm-hmm. on it and, and serve them that way. They can be turned into fries. Kids love fries. So make sweet potato fries and uh, sweet potato biscuits, sweet potato waffles. So you can, you can get them into foods in really fun ways. So that's one example.
0: And then you were talking about the center of the plate and moving out. One of the things you do that I find very fascinating is you do pickle a lot of the vegetables that you then use in other recipes in the same way you parboil them, like the burdock. But you also use the tops of a lot of these root vegetables. Talk about that. Of course, we all know things like um, uh, beet, root, beet tops and beet greens, but you've gone far beyond that.
1: Right. So we need to think of the bushy radish tops.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I did a radish top soup. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, so it ends up emerald green. So this is like a classic French potage. You, In a little bit of butter, you have softened a leek, an onion, carrot. And once that's softened, you throw in a diced up potato and you add in water. And you let that all soften. You throw in the radish tops at the end, little bit of salt and pepper, and you blend it. And you've got this incredible emerald green soup. And I was teaching a class, and this woman said, I've never eaten green soup. And I'm like, please try it. (laughs) And she loved it. And it's really, you think there's cream in it. You think it's actually, and it's actually a diet soup. Another super favorite, and we just throw these in the compost bin or in the garbage all the time, are carrot tops, and they're edible. And I did a carrot top pesto. So when all the basil goes away and you can buy carrots with all those lovely feathery tops, use them. And um, I did a classic pine nut based garlic infused pesto. Mm-hmm. And you use it in all the ways you'd use regular pesto, but it's fabulous.
0: And you've also have done some pastas. Yes. And talk about some of the pastas. I thought they were fantastic. One of them had a pesto. Right. A a, a green pesto on top.
1: And I did a... um, This is where I used the little baby Tokyo turnips and their bushy tops, which also are incredibly delicious. And I did a farfalli pasta, and I simply sauteed the little Tokyo turnips in... uh, I cut them in half, sauteed them in some butter, a little bit of salt and pepper, chopped up the greens, tossed it in to the cooked pasta, and... It's simple, and it's delicious, and you can embellish that beyond that, but I, I kept it really simple.
0: That's important to keep it simple for a lot of cooks who are just beginning to cook and experiment with food. Now, what would you say about some of the naysayers who would think, well, you know, I can't get this root vegetable. I can't get that root vegetable. All I ever see are carrots and parsnips and potatoes.
1: Well, the interesting thing is I've been traveling around the country is what I'm seeing in the markets and in the grocery stores. And so... You know, we eat in all these ethnic restaurants. You know, we go to Thai places, we go to to Cantonese, we go to Japanese, and we eat all these roots that are in those foods, lotus root, ginger, uh, galangal in, in, a, in a curry-based dish, and we see them if we shop at all in ethnic markets, and we don't know what they are. And it was true for me when I began the book. I mean, I didn't know one true yam from the next until I started working on this book, and yet, um, they're used in those in those cuisines. And um, let's figure out wonderful things to do with them. And so you realize across many cuisines, some of these roots, like a true yam, exists. You see it in Indian cooking. You see, you see it in in African cuisine. You see it in Southeast Asian cuisine. And so let's learn to use them. And so I think it's a matter of you know, being open to trying these things in, from that we see in the markets and in the farmer's markets. And there's heritage roots that are coming back, like yeah. the farmer's market in Portland is growing parsley root. I was in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, of all places, shopping with my brother in just the state.
0: Wegmans? Were you in Wegmans?
1: No, it oh. was a giant eagle. Oh,
0: okay, and, giant eagle.
1: And... and we're picking up some things for dinner, and I'm just looking at the roots, and there's parsley root, and I'm like, you got to be kidding, and there's black radishes, I'm like, you've got to be kidding in Pittsburgh, and I think it's just what is the ethnic population they're serving, and um, and this was, I think, a broad population of people that are looking for these roots because that's what they grew up with
0: and it's taking advantage of that depending upon what area right. of the country you live in now if someone is very much a potato meat and potato person and they were going to kind of go from that middle of that bullseye out and be a little bit more experimental what root vegetables would you say for them to start on i wouldn't go right to the the crone yeah, <laughs> stay away from that that that's kind of the farthest one
1: Right. Uh, Celery root. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the from the story I started with. Celery root is this wonderful root. It's not the root of the celery stock plant. It was it was cultivated for the root. And I love it. It can be pureed. It can be made into a soup. So when you think of of classic potato soup, you can think of classic celery root soup and you can think of potato salad. And this I cut into matchsticks and make this. Wonderful toss salad with celery, celery leaves, parsley, and celery root, celery root. and so that's a thought. Um,
0: I make a gratin out
1: of it. Oh, and it makes a. I have a recipe in the book. It makes a yeah. great gratin. Yeah, I yeah.
0: Love it. every Thanksgiving we do it.
1: Oh well, here we go. And um, other things we see in the market: Jerusalem artichokes, mm-hmm. turnips that can either embellish a potato dish or be served in place of it. You know, turnips are another one that get this bad rap, and they have all these wonderful attributes and flavors that you can really—they don't have a sweet side. We didn't go sweet on on turnips, but I did turn them into a dip, like baba ganoush. I did a turnip ganoush, and it's fabulous.
0: But you did go on the sweet side with parsnips.
1: I did. And
0: I really do want to take a moment of silence here to give honor to you because you created a parsnip cake— with a cream cheese frosting. It's triple layer. Right. Talk to me about that because it stopped me dead in while well, I was flipping through the book the first time.
1: Well, and there is this beautiful picture of it. So I kind of stole this idea. So there's a restaurant in Portland, Oregon called Clyde Common, which I adore. Mm-hmm. And on the menu was this parsnip cake. And I ordered it and it was like a carrot cake but with parsnips. And I'm like – and I didn't ask the pastry chef for the recipe. I went home and I took my favorite carrot cake – recipe and that I had developed for a different project and I substituted parsnips. And so this is the cake that has the coconut and the chopped walnuts and the, I used golden raisins because I didn't want the dark raisins with the parsnips cause they're white and mix that all into a oil and sugar beaten batter with cinnamon and nutmeg and, and the sweet spices and put it in three nine-inch cake pans and baked them off and then did a, a cream cheese frosting with a tiny bit of lemon juice in it and layered it up, but I didn't frost, frost the, the sides. sides. So it just looks like a And And I just wanted it to be just this rustic-looking cake and not the refined one where you even see where they go so far as to color the buttercream orange and put little carrots on top. <laughs> Didn't do that. This is just a rustic, you know, swirl, the cream cheese frosting on it, on and the layers. it really
0: is a beautiful cake. And I agree with you. It is autumnal, and it, it's a beautiful, towering creation. Well, Diane, I really want to thank you for spending some time with us and talking about roots and your 28 roots that you discuss in the 225 recipes. And I hope you at home go out and buy the book for the holidays. I think you'd really enjoy it. And also check out Diane's other 16 cookbooks. This is her 17th cookbook. Again, Diane, it was a pleasure, and I wish you best of luck with the book.
1: Delighted to share the time with you.
0: I'm David Leet, publisher of Leet's Culinaria, and you've been listening to our Author's Answer series. And I've got a little bit of news for you. We're changing. We're expanding here. This is actually our last episode of Author's Answer series, and I'm thrilled that I could share it with my friend Diane Morgan. We're starting a new program called Talking With My Mouthful, which picks up where our reading series that we had several years ago left off. It's going to be an exciting show. I'm going to have a guest host every time. We're going to have different segments, and I really do hope you'll join us. So while we prepare for the show's debut, which should be early 2013, I hope you'll go back into the library of this show and listen to some great interviews with some wonderful people like Dory Greenspan, Lynn Rosetta Casper, Sally Swift, Stephen Shaw, Grant Atkins. And, of course, you can even listen to this podcast again with Diane Morgan. So tune in early next year for our new show, Talking With My Mouthful, because we know you'll be hungry for more.